Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Beautiful Game Podcast Live. I'm joined with my right-hand man, Dej. I'm joined with Bubbles, and we've got Mr. Liverpool, James Pears from The Athletic. How are you? I'm very good, thanks. Yeah, how are you guys? Okay? Very well, thank you. Dej, yeah, we're doing very, very well. Thanks for asking. It's a pleasure to have you on our platform. We've been trying to get you on for a while now, so, you know, there's no time like the present, so we're very, very happy to have you on, James. Yeah, no problem. Bubbles, how are you? All good? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Thanks, guys, for having me. You've been telling me for a while we're trying to get James Pierce on. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you guys as well for, yeah, giving me Ple- Pleasure. So let's just kick things off um, and go back to last week, the Merseyside derby. Um, the news came out later on in the week that Virgil van Dijk is, you know, likely to miss the season. So, James, what's your understanding of that situation? Yeah, I'd be very surprised if we saw... Virgil van Dijk back in a Liverpool shirt this season. Um, Liverpool have been keen to not put a time frame on it. And, um, you know, I think the absolute best case scenario for an ACL injury like this would be six, seven months. But, um, you know, I I just think it's it's a big ask to expect him to, to play any part um, between now and May. I think, you know, certainly for Klopp and the, and the, and the players, they have to you know the mindset has to be that they have to try and achieve their goals this season without him which you know obviously is a is a huge ask because you know anyone who's seen Liverpool over the last what two and a half nearly three years will know just how integral Van Dijk has been to everything Liverpool have achieved because um, you know I, I don't think there's been a more transformative signing in Liverpool's modern history when you look at the impact he had not just in terms of his quality but also he's just one of those very special players who makes everyone around him better um, and just such a big personality and such a big leader. Um, and I think that's why it hurt so much, um, the fact they've lost him and, of course, also the, the manner in which they lost him because you know, it was a, a reckless, dangerous challenge that, um, that no one wants to see on a football pitch. 
it was a horror challenge and you know when he got the injury I think everyone sort of winced when we saw the replays and we saw him stricken on the ground and the physios attending to him but even at that stage I thought you know this is big Virgil he's going to stand up and he's going to continue but for him to you know walk off the pitch on his own accord you knew that something was wrong because this is a man that's going to take some nail into the canvas to be put out of, of the game. And as you mentioned, James, it was a horrible, horrible tackle. Those are the sorts of tackles that need to be outlawed from football, in my opinion. And, you know, there's been a lack of an apology from what I've seen. We don't know what goes on behind the scenes, but I think as a fellow pro, you should be reaching out publicly. I know it's Everton versus Liverpool. It's a rivalry. But once you finish crossing that um, white line for 90 minutes, I think you should bury the hatchet and sort of apologise. And I was even WhatsApping this week one of Virgil's um, Dutch national teammates. And he said, you know, as a fellow professional, like that was horrible to see. And, you know, it sent shockwaves through Holland. Like They're losing their tallies, man. And this is a man that's been key to the transition from Ronald Koeman into Frank de Boer and He's sort of that character that when you see him on the pitch, you think, you know what, we've got Virgil on our team. We're going to be OK. And without Virgil, it's going to leave a big gaping hole and we see how it's going to, you know, be filled. Yeah, spot on. I think um, I think you're right. You know, I think Pickford did ask Jordan Henderson straight after the game on Saturday to pass on his apologies. But I think, I think it would have been it would have been good to have seen a, a public apology from Pickford. I'm sure he feels terrible about it. No doubt about that. I don't, I don't think it was, you know, I've seen some people suggest it was premeditated or that he, he set out to hurt Van Dyke. I don't, I don't go along with that. I don't think, I don't think, I, I just think it was, it was reckless and, and dangerous. You know, he, he's led with his feet before I think about a challenge he did on Delhi Alley a couple of years back yeah. um, that, he was, you know, very lucky to avoid serious injury then. Um, and and yeah, in terms of the severity of it, you know, I, I think deep down we probably all knew that it was it had to be a bad one to force him off. I remember probably going back two years now, um, you know, Van Dyke playing on with with two cracked ribs. You know, that was, you know, it, it was his attitude was just give me the painkillers and I'll I'll get through it. And um, you know, I think what was it, 93 successive Premier League games he started in a row for Liverpool going back to January 2018. And um, yes, he's incredibly robust, but he's also got a ridiculously high pain threshold. And so, you know, and every time you watch that challenge back and you looked at what it did to his knee, um, you just you just thought this is not going to be good news. You know, when when he went for the scan and then when he went to see the specialist on Sunday, you know, I think Deep down, we probably all knew it was just a case of just how bad was the was the tear and the rupture. Um, and, and now, obviously, as as is usually the case with these ACLs, they let the swelling go down a bit before they go about doing the surgery. And it's a, a long, long rehab ahead for him. And Bubbles, how how do you feel about the situation? Obviously, Pickford stayed on the pitch. The yeah. tackle went unpunished. Does that make it more of a bitter pill to swallow from your end? Yeah, definitely. I think for some reason, I've seen a lot of rivals have a weird reaction on Twitter this week to this injury saying, oh, it's not the first time a player's done his ACL. But I think it's just with everything that happened, the way the game went, the way the game changed after that, and the fact that Pickford is not even getting a ban or didn't get a red card or anything, that's what adds to it. You know, like James said, we've seen him do this before. He'd done it against, I think, Mandzukic as well, where Mandzukic got up, luckily. It won't be the last time he does it. And the only way you stop these types of things happening is if you, if you punish him and he's not been punished. So he'll carry on getting away with it. I think 
as far as how the team has to react now, we need everyone to step up. You know, you can't have players at 70, 80%. You need to be at 90, 95%, 100%. Because where you would probably get away with things before, because Van Dyke's there to sweep up, you can't get away with that now. You know, we need more defensive assurance from Robertson and Trent. We know how good they are going forward and we don't want to hold them back. But they've got to step up defensively. The midfielders as well got to provide more cover for the defence. Fabinho, like we saw yesterday, came in and did amazing. And we need to see that now consistently until the end of the season if we want to have as strong a finish as possible. I think before we dip into, you know, potential solutions in January, I just want to talk about the other tackle that, you know, sparked a lot of headlines in the game. And it was from, you know, Richarlison on Tiago. And for me, that was like almost like assault. So, James, what is your perspective with that tackle? Yeah, just absolutely horrific, wasn't it? It's another one that every time you watch it back, you wonder how on earth Tiago didn't suffer a broken leg or, mm. um, you know, and, and, and facing a long, long spell on the sidelines. I know he went for a scan as well as, as Van Dyke on, on Saturday evening. Thankfully, the news with him was more positive. Um, you know, whether he'll play or not this weekend, we're not, we're not sure. He hasn't, he hasn't trained to my knowledge up, uh, since the Merseyside derby, but I think it was, you know, Liverpool didn't seem too concerned once they got the scan results on Thiago. I think it, it was good news that it wasn't going to be a, a long-term thing, and and again, I think you know, similar to the Pickford one, when you look at it and you think, you know, the ball was a long way away. You know, it was, it, it, you know, it, again, it was, it very much falls into the reckless, dangerous category, um, and you know, of course, you know, and it's similar to the first one as well. You know, the, the play had actually been stopped, and it was, it was, you know, Richarlison was punished after after the referee had initially blown up, and you know, that was, I think. What made it even more baffling the fact that Pickford has escaped to ban the fact that you know I, I you know I, I kept seeing on social media last weekend people saying oh he, well, he was he was offside as if like also if someone's offside you can just you can just do whatever you want throw punches like not a problem it's offside just um, just absolutely crazy and you know I, I think I think just what what showed I think to everyone the depth of anger at Liverpool about what went on. Is you know anyone that watched Jeannie Wijnaldum's uh, press conference on the eve of the game against Ajax? Now Jeannie Wijnaldum's not one of the nicest fellas I've I've ever had the pleasure of interviewing in football, and um, very rarely does he say anything remotely controversial or too forthright. Um, but you know he he clearly you know his one of his best mates has been has been taken out of football for the entire season and is facing a long long road back to fitness, and you know I think. Professionals like that can take. They they know that it's one of the hazards of the trade picking up injuries. You know it happens. Everyone goes through it. But when when something happens like that that was so avoidable, avoidable, it just leaves such a sour taste. And as Wijnaldum said, you know it was what made it even worse for the Liverpool players to take is the fact that Pickford got away scot free. Yeah, and even uh, some of the histrionics after the game. Um, I'm not sure if you've seen it online. Lucas Digne posted a picture that, sorry, I was trying to get you not sent off to Richarlison and sort of Alan Rodriguez and Nkuku were laughing. I mean, Thiago hadn't had received a prognosis about his injury at that point. So to be laughing about fellow pros, it, it leaves a bit of taste in your mouth. Like, I think Everton, you know, stooped to a low on that day. And I think Carlo Ancelotti mentioned in his press conference today that Jordan Pickford's feeling a bit low because he would have seen the abuse and the vitriolic abuse that he's been receiving online. But yeah, I think it would have served his course well if he came out and said, you know what, I hold my hands up. I'm sorry for what I caused. I hope he recovers quickly. 
Yeah, well well said, guys. I think, obviously, we know that Van Dijk is out for the season and we've got a couple of months to go before we get to the January window. So in terms of, like, in-house solutions, um, Bubbles, who would you say is probably the best defensive pairing um, as mm. things stand right now? Well, I think you have to look straight away to the two senior centre-halves left. So that's Matip and Gomez. But I feel like, as I already mentioned, Fabinho proved yesterday and he proved against Chelsea. He's more than capable of filling in that role. He mentioned in his interview after the game, I'm not Van Dijk, but I'll, I'll try my best. Mm. And, you know, I think you need to just have as many of them available as, as long as possible. Of course, you've got the young guys, uh, or I say young, Nat Phillips is 23, uh, Vandenberg as well. I, I don't know, in my opinion, how high Lee Klopp rates them as uh, potential long-term options. But as for this season, I think it's between Gomez, Matip and Fabinho. They're the three that need to try and bear this weight of Van Dijk not being available. And James, your your perspective on this? Yeah, yeah, it was it, it was intriguing actually listening to Fabino do mm. do the media duties after the game against Ajax because he, for a start he, he's done very little media during his time in at Liverpool and you know used to usually in mix zones you ask him to stop and he says in perfect English I'm sorry I don't speak English <laughs> <laughs> and, and carries on going and I think he. Um, he definitely can't use that excuse anymore. <laughs> um, his English is better than mine. So, um, yeah, it was, you know, listening to him say, talk about Klopp asking him to become a leader and become vocal and to organise. And you know, it, it almost sounded like Klopp is, you know, almost, you know, he, of course he can't be Van Dyke, but almost trying it, trying to, to ease some of that responsibility that, that Van Dyke just always embraced, want, wanting Fabino to take that on. And, um, I think we're going to see a hell of a lot of Fabino at centre half this season. You know, I thought that even before the Ajax game because I think you only have to look at Joel Matip's injury record. You know, last weekend was the first time he completed 90 minutes in the Premier League for for nearly a year, um, and again, you know, wasn't fit enough to be considered for the for the Champions League game in midweek. So I, I just don't see Joel Matip putting in, putting together a run of 10, 12 successive performances for Liverpool this season. So. I think Fabino and Gomez look like predominantly they could, you know, they're going to, I think they're going to be getting, getting used to playing alongside each other. You know, of course, the partnership's going to need time to develop. Um, and I also thought it was significant that Klopp gave a few minutes last night to Reese Williams because, um, mm. you know, I, you know, that was, you know, again, you know, not many managers would have done that when you're still holding out for, a, you know, with, with the lead being as narrow as it was at the time. Um, and what a moment for him. You know, I thought he he deserved that because he he performed brilliantly in the couple of Carabao Cup games he got earlier on in the season. Um, and, you know, and you know what that will do for his confidence. Because I think mm. Reese Williams will definitely, I'd expect to see him play Premier League football between, wow. now and, between now and Christmas. I think he's clearly at the top of the pecking order of the younger ones. I think I'd probably have Cometio, Billy Cometio, just behind. He... He's been a bit unfortunate, Cometio, because he he had a really good preseason. You know, really impressed Klopp, really impressed the senior players, not just with his ability but with his attitude and his application around the place. And then he's had a few injuries since. I think otherwise we would have seen Cometio in the League Cup. Um, you know, then probably Nat Phillips after that, and then Seth Vandenberg, kind of probably just below him. So um, 
Yeah, I, I, I really like Reese Williams. And I, th I think his backstory is fascinating because, you know, we talk about the academy system in England being quite pampered and does it really help players bridge that gap from playing like under 18s and 23s football to the first team? Well, Liverpool sent Reese Williams out on loan to Conference North to play for Kidderminster Harriers last season. And he had like his nose spread across his face after about two or three games. He was, you know, playing in front of two. 300 people on like mud bath pitches um but it was exactly what liverpool wanted from him and it was what he wanted himself probably more importantly because he felt he needed to toughen up to be a center half you have to be able to to embrace those physical battles and um you know i, I haven't done much research on it but i can't imagine there's too many players who have gone from conference north to the champions league in the space of uh, six or seven months I want to yeah. throw this one out to you, Des, because we went on a podcast, you know, earlier on in the summer, and you said if you had to sign one player to transform Liverpool, not just a defender, just any player in the world, you said Dio Oppenmancano. Why was that? And do you see someone as someone that Liverpool could be looking at in, in January? I think January might be tricky because he's got a release clause that comes into play next summer of around, I think, £40 million. But I think this guy is the future. He's got everything. You know, he's a type A defender. He's powerful. He's quick. He's strong. He's got the technique. And more importantly, he's a leader. But even just going back to the question about um, Liverpool centre-back pairing, I think Gomez and Matip are type B defenders. You know, they play the game. They feel more comfortable beside a leader type of um, defender. And for them to, you know, plug the gap, one or both of them are going to have to, like, find their voice and be vocal. Because I think we saw in that first half, Klopp was barking out instructions. You know, if Van Dijk was there, he would do that in-game management for, for Klopp. So I just think Dio Oppermancano probably fits that void of someone that can come in and, you know, fill that void. Because I think Klopp isn't the type of manager that will sign a defender just for signing them's sake. He wants to map out a future and say, this defender is going to be here for three, four, five years. That's why I don't see him panic buying. And I can see him finding an in-house solution until next summer. And let's not forget, Jordan Henderson's also a player that can fit into centre-back. I remember in the Club World Championships against uh, Monterrey when he played very, very well and plugged the gap. So there's many options within that Liverpool rank. What, James, do you almost feel that the post-match press conference from Fabinho yesterday was almost like a statement that, look, I'm a, I'm a leader in this team. I speak well. I can lead at the back by example. Do you think that was almost like a big step for him? Yeah, and I think that will have been driven by Klopp as well. I think mm. it's that's that's just Klopp's way of saying, go on, you know, not just on the pitch, but off it. We need you. We need more from you because I think again, you know, in, in the I haven't had a huge amount of dealings with Fabino, but when I, you know, he he does come come across as quite quiet and reserved, and you know, I think Klopp looks at it and he goes, you know, Liverpool are blessed with big personalities in that dressing room. You know, of course, you've got you know Henderson and Milner. You know the, the the kind of rule the roost, and then you know Wijnaldum is a is a loud presence. Of course, Robertson's captain of Scotland, but you know there's no doubt that they have lost just lost this big personality in Van Dijk. So you want you want someone else to step up, and you want someone else to embrace it. And um, yeah, you know the point earlier was spot on that you know I agree with that on Gomez and Matip, mm -hmm. both both fantastic defenders in their own right, but I don't think leadership necessarily comes naturally to either of them in terms of you know being a vocal presence I think they both massively benefit from having someone like Van Dyke alongside them um you know and 
and so that's you know that I think that's probably partly why we've seen kind of Klopp clearly has already had a chat with Fabino about embracing that that bigger role because I think he probably thinks it probably does come you know that that is a, that is something that he can embrace and take on. Bubbles, what do you feel of Joe Gomez? There's been, you know, a lot of criticism towards him. He's been used as almost like a lightning rod for criticism recently with his performances. Where do you stand on him? Because he's had a dip in form post-lockdown. What's your take on Joe Gomez? Well, I think there was a mix of criticism for him individually and the high line, as a lot of people saw the sort of Aston Villa. And I think it is fair to say that he has dipped in performances. I think it's because he generally relies on his pace because he can do. He's so quick. And that has sometimes left us sort of caught out at the back and exposed. And I think he will be one who relishes in this period where Van Dijk is out. Because like we're all saying, we need players to step up. And I think he knows now, I, I you know, he needs confidence and this will bring it this will boost him. He he will not be the Van Dyke replacement, but he will be the one we look to as, you know, can you take this defense forward this season? Can you be that leader in that in that presence? There's a big gap, you know, for both England and Liverpool that, you know, Joe Gomez can potentially fill. And he should relish that. You know, we've spoken about him for a few years now as a good young defender. He needs to step up to the plate mm. because if Liverpool are going to win this title. You know, we will be remembering Joe Gomez if he puts in those performances. We'll remember it as the season that Van Dyke got injured. He was out for the whole season. But let's not forget what Joe Gomez done and, you know, play a pivotal part for Liverpool winning the league. So I think, you know, Joe Gomez should be looking at this period as he can potentially make his Liverpool career and create his own piece of history. No, absolutely, Dej. And James, what, what does happen in January? Because obviously we were linked with Ben White in the summer. Um, Dio Oppermancano is a player that keeps cropping up. So what's your understanding of the situation? Well, well, currently Liverpool have kind of played it down in terms of the, the prospect of entering the market in January. I think I think you'd, you'd, you know, that, that is what you'd expect at this stage because I think you know, what is there possibly to, to gain from, from putting it out there that, yes, we desperately want to centre-half in January because... I think Liverpool have got 16 games across the Premier League and the Champions League between now and then. Um, you know, and you know, if, and also if you know, if, if you're if you're pushing out that kind of message, what does it say about your faith in, in those that you've got to work with and try and get more out of between between now and the window opening? So, you know, people at the club have you know, pointed out to me that you know Klopp has got huge confidence in and faith in some of the young players he's got coming through that he's prepared to throw into big high pressure situations if needs be if if um you know if Gomez Matip and Fabino the two of those three aren't able to 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 fill the gap in every every single game you know we saw that probably with the way in which he threw Reese Williams on but i think when you take a step back and look at the bigger picture i, I would be absolutely amazed if liverpool didn't go and sign a centre half in january just because you know you know i, I just think c- can they possibly win the title and maintain a challenge for the Champions League with what they've got defensively. I I, I just think that's a very, very big ask. Um, and you know, I, I think, you know, I, I wrote numerous pieces over the summer that I felt centre-half should have been a priority Liverpool addressed in the window, you know, long before, you know, no one obviously could have foreseen what happened with, with Van Dijk. But I think, you know, if you, whether you loved Dejan Lovren or loathed him, he, he was he was... He was important to Liverpool because I think he played. I think he played 15 games last season, and um, 
you know, and, and I always felt he got, you know, a, a very unfair amount of stick relative to to his importance and the way in which he was regarded by his fellow professionals and the coaching staff at Liverpool. And I was I was really surprised that Liverpool didn't go and go and sign a replacement. And I understand the reasons why. I understand that, you know, it was a summer like no other with money being really thin on the ground due to COVID. And, you know, they they felt that they had to go and get another attacker to ease the burden on the front three. You know, they felt they had to go and get you know a, a left back to provide cover for Robertson, and that Thiago was the kind of you know once in a in a blue moon kind of deal. That how do you possibly turn turn down the chance to sign someone of his caliber for such a relatively modest fee? So um, you know, I think the only thing that worries me as well with Fabinho playing centre half so often, which is what I think is going to happen, is Liverpool then lose the best holding midfielder in the Premier League. Um, because, you know, and I, and I know he's got other options. I know, you know, when Alden can play as the number six, Henderson, of course, played, you know, probably a hundred games or more as the number six. You know, Thiago could do it if if needs be. But I just think the Liverpool midfield functions better when when Fabinho is there sitting with, with two other players ahead of him. You know, you know, ironically, in the derby at Goodison last weekend, I thought Liverpool's midfield was sensational. And I, mm-hmm. I, and I loved you know, I love the look of that midfield with Fabinho sitting and Henderson and Thiago either side. I, you know, I thought you know, this this is the future. You know? And then bang, of course, that happens to Van Dijk, and we're probably very rarely going to see that midfield play together at all this season. So, um, so yeah, you know, Liverpool obviously, as you'd imagine, keeping their cards close to their chest regarding January activity. But um, I think I think the scouts will be busy between between now and then. Um, you mentioned Ben White. He's certainly someone they've watched extensively. I think the only thing with Ben White is, again, you know, as we quite often say, the, the premium you pay for kind of the homegrown talent. Because you know, I think Leeds had what two, three bids rejected for him in the summer. Yeah. I think it was, you know, was it getting up towards thirty million or something? Million, yeah. yeah. So what? What do Brighton want? 35, 40? 50 million. Oh, I read today, yeah. yeah, fifty million, and it's actually yeah. ironic because I went to go and watch. Crystal yeah. Palace versus Brighton on the weekend, and he's a very, very comfortable defender on the ball. He plays central midfield, you know, with um, Bissouma. Very technical, very combative. You know, he had a running duel with Wilfred Zaha during the game, but 50 million for Ben White. I think when you look at Liverpool's recent recruitment, it wouldn't take a rocket scientist to realise that they wouldn't be doing that sort of business. But, James, what type of defenders do you think will be on Klopp's shopping list for January? Because, in my opinion, I said during the summer that Liverpool should have been targeting someone like a Ben Godfrey, someone that's not expecting to play regularly, but, you know, within one or two years, he can start making much more appearances. I think he would have been perfect for Liverpool. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd go along with that. I know I know he was certainly a name that they had discussed, Godfrey. Um, the, and, and again, I think in the end, it came down to priorities. You know, what do we, what do we simply have to do in this window and, and what can potentially wait? And, um, you know, ironically, I guess when they looked at it, you thought, well, hang on a minute, Virgil van Dijk does not miss football matches. You know, he's played this, you know, ridiculous, nearly 100 successive Premier League games in a row. And, and we, you know, the, the thinking was, well, we've got Fabino, who could be the, you know, looked upon as the fourth choice centre half. You know, Cometio has, has massively impressed everyone in pre season. Reese Williams is a big talent. So that was why I, I get the thinking behind it. But I think you're right, you know, Bringing in someone like Godfrey would have would have made big sense in the in the in the summer. I think as it is now, I I, I can see Liverpool 
you know, I think I think the Bundesliga wouldn't surprise me if they went and plucked someone from there, whether it's you know up in Meccano or you know Quebec at Schalke or you know, there's, a, there's there's a number of possible alternatives there that um, I'm sure that they'll be keeping a very close eye on in the in the coming months because um, you know I think you know that was a huge win for Liverpool over Ajax because I think you know it's, it seems stupid to say it after match day one but you know you could almost you know it looks like Liverpool and Atalanta will you know having you, know, you, know, you expect now Midland to be the absolute whipping boys of that group you know Liverpool <laughs> You know, Liverpool you really need now only to win their home games to to be, to be assured of going through. So then you've got a situation where you know going into the knockout stages of the Champions League, you know the the riches on offer from that. Um, I just think surely, you know the 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 the, the, the riches at stake will dictate that you have to go and get someone to to give you that extra depth defensively for the second half of the season because. Um, Despite all the doom and gloom around the loss of Van Dijk, I think the other thing that struck me about the Ajax game was Liverpool don't have ha- don't have, have some firepower this season. Yeah. That, was, uh, that was you know it was I think like most people I was sat there scratching my head when I saw Salamane and Firmino all being pulled off um, on the hour mark because you know it never happened before and I think only in four previous games under Klopp had he taken all three of them off in the same game but at different times. And all four of those games were times when Liverpool had absolutely battered opponents. I think there was four, a four-one, a four-nil, a five-three, and, a, and another four-nil. And it was a case of giving them a breather. He'd never done that, taking them off when the game was still in the melting pot. But when you see Jota come on and perform like that, you see a fit again, Shakiri. You know, you see Minamino, how much he's come on, and you think actually, you know, Liverpool can't be the same team without Van Dijk. But you know, they're still a bloody good one. We're gonna we're gonna get to the attack in a moment, but James Henry Winter was asking if that's a position centre back that you may be interested in. Maybe. Is, that, is that something that you're looking at? <laughs> What's the wage demands? Fifty k a week. Wage demand, <laughs> I think I'd be the step ladder to win a header from a corner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I did. I did. You know, I played a few media games with Henry, and he, um, to be honest, he would fit the bill a lot better than me. He was. He played the commanding centre half role. He was our um, he was our Virgil Van Dijk at Anfield for a uh, a media game a few years back. So um, putting his body on the line and making last ditch tackles. So no, I, just, I was I was goal hanging down the other end of the pitch. And, uh, Target man. I think, I think my heat map that day they were wondering they were wondering whether I still had a pulse. <laughs> So, yeah, no, that's pretty I wanted to ask you a question. So, like, with all the defenders currently on the market or that we could potentially sign, who would you sign? Me personally? Yeah, Bubbles. I was asking. Oh, oh. Um, yeah, no, I was saying the same as you did, Oppermancano, if, if it's possible. The fact that he's only 21 years old, born in 1998, so the same year as Trent, He's one for the next four, five, six years, not just this gap now without Van Dyke. Yeah. So definitely, and everything he's done already in his career, I think something I was just doing a bit of research because I only remember watching him a bit of the Champions League last year. And his apparently his passing ability is really strong. And we obviously know we need that from our centre-backs to bring the ball out, feed counter-attacks. So he, he would fit that bill. And, and like you already said, he's a leader. I think he reads the game really well. Something that surprised me about Fabinho as well, I know I keep mentioning Fabinho, but... <laughs> 
Yeah, he reads the world considering he's holding yeah, the ball. Yeah. yeah, he's sticking his leg in trying to get the, the, the ball away. So, yeah, for me, it is Oppenheimer if it's possible. I don't know if it will be because of the age and the price that comes with that. I want to go to Dej because obviously, James, you mentioned the front three and. To be fair, in my opinion, Jota is really starting to knock on that door and he looks like he wants to break into that front three. And obviously, Roberto Firmino's um, form recently has been a cause for concern, in my opinion. Where do you stand on Firmino right now, Dej? Yeah, I think Firmino sort of made his name as, you know, the engine of this Liverpool attack with his pressing and sort of like his service to the team. But as you mentioned, of recent, of late, his form has become a bit worrying. I think he almost went the whole season without scoring at Anfield. He obviously broke that duck against Chelsea. And in possession nowadays, he's not as compact and as solid as he once was before. And I think there's sort of like a danger where the front three were rising together. But it seems that maybe Salah, Mane are sort of getting to that world-class level and Bobby's sort of failing to get up. You know, I know it's early days, but I think... You know, for Liverpool to get to that next level, we need to be looking at those 1%. And I think, you know, I subscribe to the fact that your number nine needs to be scoring goals. Yes, it's all right pressing, setting the tempo. But as a striker, you should be wanting to, you know, put teams to the sword. And I just think Firmino lacks that devilment. I think Mane Salah, they have to score. They want to score. Whereas Firmino, he's probably all right saying, you know what? I'm happy not scoring. And as you mentioned, with Hotter signing, I think this is live competition. You know, last season with Divo Karigi, I sort of think the front three knew, you know, I can have a bad game and, you know, nothing's going to happen. But I think with Hotter, he's sort of like that Klopp prototype of an attacker. You know, Pep Linders called him a pressing monster. He <laughs> runs, he harries on that transition. He's lethal. So I think it's one to watch. But I would now argue that Liverpool's front three is now a front four with the inclusion of Hotter because I think he's sort of ready to press ahead and start games and he doesn't need that bedding-in period that Klopp likes to give his players. James, where do you stand on Firmino's form? Yeah, a bit of a worry. Not, I'm not. I think with Firmino, he's just so. I think he's just such quite a difficult player to judge at times because you know traditionally we think of centre forwards and say you know when he's not scoring. You know why? Why is it? You know, is it not time to to shake things up? But I think, you know, when you when you look at, you know, Klopp's faith in him is just absolutely huge because he, you know, he talks about him setting, you know, talks about him, you know, describes him as the first defender, the way in which he sets the tone, and that when Liverpool, when when Firmino play well, Liverpool play well, and um, but you know, I think as they said he is now under genuine pressure for his place that he probably hasn't had for a long, long time. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm not suggesting that he's he's going to be like relegated to a spell on the bench because I don't think that will be. But I think I think now Klopp's in a position where he, he can rotate him and he can, he can give him a breather where probably last season, the season before, he felt like he just had to keep on playing him and keep on playing him and, and just almost hope that he played his way back into form. Um, because, you know, Jota has been, been absolutely brilliant. I, he's, he's been everything I hoped he might be since he, since he joined. And I, the more, every time I watch him as well, he's just such a clock player, everything about him, you know, just, you know, the way in which he's so positive and direct and, the, you know, the work ethic and, you know, the, the tactical intelligence of him as well. 
um, you know, he will he will definitely make a big contribution this season. So, you know, I think he's in contention. Also, Minamino, I think I think Minamino has been really unfortunate not to play more minutes than he has done so far this season. And you know, and, and I think that's gone under the radar a little bit because I thought he really struggled in the second half of last season, and it was. You know, and I think you know it was obviously a difficult time for a player to come to come to a new country, new language, you know, new dressing room, trying to settle in. You know, he'd only been here what two months, and then suddenly the pandemic struck, and um, you know, I'm sure sure he's had some pretty lonely periods over over the course of 2020, being um, you know being being in Liverpool, trying to trying to adjust to his new surroundings. But you can tell how much he just looks like a different player to me on the pitch now compared to when he got minutes last season. So I think you know Jota and Minamino have given Klopp plenty of food for thought, and um, you know, hopefully that will also trigger a bit of an upturn from Firmino. Because I think the other thing that struck me watching the game last night was how well Andy Robertson has started this season. Mm. You know, he is he is he has been an absolute revelation you know, in terms of, <laughs> and I do wonder whether part of that is the fact that Liverpool went out and spent nearly twelve million quid on Simicus, who I know. Mm. You know, has, has had injury problems of his own since he's been here, but it, it also it, it it puts that thing in a player's you know head that I have to deliver. I simply have to deliver because if I don't, you know, someone's going to take my place. And hopefully now that Firmino now be in that same position, um, you know, we will see an improvement in him because I think if we don't, then the competition is just too great for Klopp to keep on playing. Bubbles, do you almost feel like? Thiago has almost made the Firmino role redundant because Firmino was brought to drop deep and create from deep. Mm. But now we have Thiago doing that. Is it almost like a culture clash between the two? Perhaps. I think the Firmino role, from what my understanding is, is a bit more than just dropping deep. It's the whole pressing from the front. It's, you know, winning the ball back in certain key areas where you can then attack from. So I would actually like to see Thiago play with Firmino. I think Thiago improves Firmino's game. I think he'll, his first time balls into the front three will quicken things up in terms of attacking through the middle. Uh, and I, yeah, so I think Thiago doesn't actually make Firmino's role redundant, but he actually maybe helps him and means Firmino doesn't have to do everything on his own, like creating creative-wise, but Thiago can help out. Um, and yeah, like I said, I think it's a matter of time before Jota is starting, to be honest, as well. He's just in too much confidence right now, He's, you know, with the three goal involvements for Portugal, you know, was it last two weekends ago. So it's a matter of time before he should be starting and he deserves to be starting. Whether that therefore means a change in formation, maybe playing a 4-3-1 to fit all four of them in, I don't know. But I would like to see Jota starting sooner rather than later. Man, let's not forget, Bobby's played a lot of football recently. Mm. And if, I think he's one of those slow starters to the season. So the more we play football, the more we'll see, you know, Bobby come into play. And I think Klopp was sort of asked about Bobby's, you know, lack of form in one of his recent press conferences. And he said, you know what? It's not something I'm considering right now. I've got no problem with Bobby's form. He obviously went to Brazil and scored two goals. So, you know, it's one to watch, but it's not a pressing concern. Let's see how it develops. I think just slightly um, to go off topic, obviously we're going to be rounding up shortly and James, we're still going to speak about your book, but slightly to go off of topic, um, Project Big Picture got kicked to the curb and then there were, you know, recent talks about Liverpool creating a European Super League. James, what's your understanding um, there, please? 
Yeah, I think first of all, you know, it was it was good to see those project big picture plans and end up in the gutter really because I don't think I don't, I don't know any anyone that really wanted to see that happen in, in that form. I think the, the only the only positive thing for me from from that project big picture was that it hopefully starts a discussion in terms of you know, I think something has to change because um you know you, you only had to see the number of football league clubs who actually were quite enthusiastic about the proposals because they're desperate you know they they do need help they do need some kind of um change in which the the wealth is distributed in english football and there was there were some elements of the proposals that i thought well do you know what yeah that makes sense and that makes sense and yeah you know do you know what you know killing off the community shield would anyone would anyone really be that bothered? You know, little things like that. You know, the League Cup for me is like, it's just been so devalued by, you know, hardly anyone taking it seriously. And so it wasn't, you know, there, there were some good things in there, you know, and especially the amount of money that would have been handed out to clubs that desperately need some support. But then, you know, the alarm bells were well and truly ringing when you saw the, you know, the change to the voting rights. And, um, you know, and, it, and clearly it was a, it was a power grab and you know it was about be having more say in which the way in which decisions are made and it was about you know essentially earning more money and i think that was what left a sour taste certainly in my mouth probably in a lot of liverpool fans yeah. at a time when you know it just feels quite you know distasteful at a time when so many people are struggling so many people are having tough times and we're talking about you know how much more can can billionaire owners kind of get out of the get out of the game and so yeah I think something has to change but not not pro I, did, I, I never wanted to see that happen um and the same with the European Super League I, th I think I think there's a bit of a game going on there at the moment because you know there's talks going on in terms of the expansion of the Champions League I think from was it 2024 onwards and you know people I've spoken to about that story a few days ago have been pretty dismissive of it in terms of you know you know it's it wasn't a particularly, you know, I think I just got the impression it was almost been put out there as a bit of a bargaining tool to kind of show, well, uh, you know, this is what we could go and do if you don't agree to our demands. So there's a lot of a lot of kind of jockeying and for position going on here. And um, but, yeah, they just you know, they need to be careful what they wish for, whether that's Liverpool, Man United, you know, any other elite club around Europe, because, you know, what? Anyone that wants to see a, a closed shop European Premier League, the same, you know, what what makes Liverpool Bayern Munich or Liverpool Barcelona really special is the fact that those game, games don't come around too often, and it's like, yeah. well, you know, the, the, you know, the stakes are so high because, oh my God, we haven't played them for years, and you know, it, suddenly if, if you're playing those clubs two, three times a season, whatever. Then you know we you know season in season out with no no change to who's in that setup, it just completely devalues it for me. And um, yeah, they need to you know I, you know they they you know I, I I hope that that day just doesn't come. And I think I think it is just a case of those elite clubs trying to flex their mess muscle just to just to try and eke out some extra cash. Yeah, well said, James. Um, the last question probably on the Liverpool playing side is the position of goalkeeper. You know, we've seen Adrian and he's sort of been under the spotlight 
after some glaring errors. We sort of saw him with Joe Gomez. Joe Gomez yesterday was sort of looking at him saying, what on earth are you doing, Adrian? <laughs> you know, he's sort of flattered to deceive at times. But there was talk in the window that's just gone of a replacement goalkeeper coming in. Gazaniga was mentioned in some quarters. We also saw um, Jack Butland, who subsequently went to um, Crystal Palace for a nominal fee around a million plus add-ons. Was that something Liverpool were deeply considering or did Klopp sort of say, you know what, I've got faith in Adrian? No, they weren't, they weren't considering it. I think that was, I think that was very much agent talk, um, trying to push their, push their clients out there. I mean, the, the Butland one was absolutely ridiculous because Jack Butland wasn't even getting a game at Stoke. So it was like, the idea that Liverpool would go and sign him and throw him into the Merseyside derby was just ludicrous. And um, you know, the same with the Gaz and Eager ones. I think the, the one thing that Liverpool don't do, um, and you know, I, I can't think of the last time they did do it, is knee-jerk reactions. You know, they were never going to react to that 7-2 hiding at Villa and go, right, you know, forget Adrian, we'll go and sign another goalie. Because then what do, you, what do you do with that other goalie when... In two, three weeks' time, Allison's back fit again. You know, and you know, I, I'm not convinced that that you know they, that they needed to go out and get. So if, I think if they were going to replace Adrian, the time to do it was obviously you know back in back in July, August time, um, when they you know assessed the season. And I can I can understand why people would argue that the de- the caliber of the deputy goalkeeper at Liverpool isn't good enough. I think you know I wrote a piece last week actually just trying to provide a bit of context to why Liverpool, you know, have Adrian. And I just think it's a very difficult position to fill because, you know, I spoke to a lot of Liverpool goalkeepers who had been in that position of being a number two. And they said, you know, a lot of keepers would be put off coming to Liverpool because Alisson is at such a high level. You know, you've got no chance of, of getting ahead of him. The only, the only time you're going to get ahead of him is if he's injured. Mm-hmm. And and then, so the only way then to attract a really good check and second choice goalie is to pay him a fortune now, which you know, I just, I just it was pretty clear that Liverpool weren't going to go down the route of paying an hundred grand a week to, to someone to to play. So you know, as it is, they they pushed on with Adrian. I mean, he, he's a real funny mix, Adrian, because it's, you know, even even the Ajax game is a perfect example of that. You know, he made a massive well. save, yeah. massive save, and um, yeah. You know, very lucky to get away with that clearance that got, that got charged down, and you know, even you know, even even the one in the final few seconds yeah, when he dropped that cross. Yeah. You know, how different is the mood today if if you know if if that ball loops into the net rather than over the bar? And you know, I was I was pleased for him that he got away with that one because I just thought he's taken that much stick of late. You know, he he, he kind of deserved that little bit of good fortune and. Um, the most infuriating thing for me with Adrian is that quite a few of his mistakes that have proved costly were just so avoidable. It's not like it's not like he gets beaten by you know shot real. You know, there's not many goals that fly past him that you think mm. you know, probably probably Keane's header in the derby last week. You'd say he should have done better, but in general, the mistakes have been with his feet when he should just be playing percentages and just getting rid of it. Rather than thinking think he's out. Told him that? Do you think Klopp has told him that? Because he seems to keep wanting to play. Maybe it's an ego thing that he's thinking, you know what, I need to keep in line with this style of play. Yeah, I think I think there is part that's definitely a, a factor, I think, of like this is the way we play. Um, so I need to stick to it. But you know, it's just I, I just think common sense dictates that you just why create issues for yourself that you don't need to be trying to 
just trying to deal with and he's not Allison. And I think, you know, even you could argue even uh, there's been times probably when his defenders haven't helped him out by almost treating him like he is Allison and pinging the ball back to him when it's like, what are you doing? Don't do well, yeah, Robertson is very guilty of that. Yeah. Um, but you know, the, the really positive news for Liverpool is that Allison is way ahead of schedule, actually. You know, when he was injured before the Villa game, you know, the fear was that he, he would he wouldn't be back till after the November international break. Um, but, you know, he's he's not far off a return now. So if he doesn't play this weekend, he should be back in the Premier League by the following weekend. Um, and with a trip to the Etihad on the horizon, you know, that's a massive boost. Yeah. So do you expect him to play against Sheffield United? I think that's going to be an interesting game as well because of obviously Rian Brewster returning to his former club. But do you expect Alisson to play against um, Sheffield United? Not 100% sure, to be honest. No, I, I, haven't, I haven't spoke to anyone uh, today about whether, whether, whether where he's up to with his training. The message earlier on in the week was that he was stepping up training over the course of this week. But they were just wary about whether there'd be any kind of setback in terms of discomfort in his shoulder. Um, so, yeah, the last bulletin I had was that if it's if this weekend comes a bit too soon, then um, then the following weekend, you know, he, he they fully expect him to be ready for. And Bubbles, how are you feeling about the game against Sheffield United? Is it going to be an easy three points or...? No, I don't think many games this season will be an easy three points. Now, obviously, without Van Dijk, but just generally, the way the games are coming thick and fast, and we've seen so many freak results already, you can't write any game as an easy three points because it's just too unpredictable. I think that the team will be in confidence. I think that, that win yesterday does so much good to their confidence after two disappointing results one good performance with Aston, uh, Everton but uh, two disappointing results so yesterday was a, a real morale booster and yeah I think you just have to go into it with the same sort of mentality as the Ajax one of you know we need to prove ourselves we need to bounce back and hopefully there's enough there we know how good the attack can be we've still got world-class players in this team and if they're all in form you know it has to be the three points. And Dej, what's what's your take on the game? Obviously, you've got a great relationship with you know Rian Brewster's people. So how's he how's he feeling about this this one? Obviously, he's coming up against his former club, so he want to be impressing and showing Liverpool what they're missing. Um, obviously, he came off off the bench in the weekend's game. Um, so yeah, I just think with that whole transfer saga, it was described to me as just a simple business transaction that there was no human feelings involved. And there was a bit of, not bitterness, but, you know, a bit of questioning of the way Liverpool, you know, handled that transfer in terms of exiling Rian from the squad, you know, not playing or featuring in the Carabao Cup games and, you know, training with the squad. But I think in hindsight, it's a deal that suits everyone. Rian's moved on to a team where he's going to be playing games and, you know, he can build on that momentum that he built up at Swansea, you know, 11 goals in 22 games. And let's be right, like, he's not really going to break in or play that many games for Liverpool. So I think it's a deal that suits everyone. But I just think in terms of the human interaction in regards to that deal, there was a bit of bitterness. And James, so what was your understanding around that deal? Yeah, I think it was it was pretty clear that having had a taste of regular football on loan at Swansea last in the second half of last season that Rian was very keen to to go and play and you know and I, and I think it became clear as well that it was it was just difficult to see where he fitted in this season I think probably the standout quote for me in pre-season when he did very well and scored a few goals for Liverpool was yeah. 
TikTok saying, you know, his finishing is not in doubt. It, it's the other parts of his game. Um, you know, and going back to what we said about Firmino earlier on in terms of not judging him just by goals. You know, I, I just think those are, I just didn't really see where Rian Brewster fitted in. You know, even you know, one of my colleagues at The Athletic goes and watches Swansea week in, week out. And he said, you know, he scored, you know, his scoring record was phenomenal for Swansea. But he said Rian went quite long periods in games where you didn't even really notice him and he wasn't really involved and bang, scores, which isn't a bad habit to have, but I'm just not sure that works in Liverpool's system where so much is ex- expected of their central striker. So um, I-, I never got the impression of Klopp that he was really looking to move him on, but I think when he sensed that frustration in Rian, and I think also the other thing that someone said to me was that Rian had, had missed quite a big, obviously ch- a big chunk of his kind of teenage years when he was looking to make an impact with that bad injury he had and mm-hmm. you know he, he didn't really fancy the idea of of, of being on the bench and, and 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 having to you know be in really limited game time this season so and i just think also in the coronavirus kind of the the, the financial impact of of the pandemic liverpool realized well actually you know we've got a young player here who's worth a lot of money despite the fact he's never played in the premier league for us um we probably don't need him this season. So if we can do a deal where we get, you know, a decent sum of cash and we've got the insurance policy of a buyback clause valid for the next three years, if he does go and light the place up at Sheffield United, then it's a bit of a no-brainer. So, um, so yeah, you know, I, I know it didn't sit right with some people and some fans I've spoken to, this, you know, this big hope that's been built up and up and up as, you know, Rian Brewster is going to be the next big thing at Liverpool to then sell him. But, I just think, you know, as they said, I think ultimately it's it's a win for Sheffield United. It's a win for Liverpool, and hopefully it's a win for Rian Brewster because I hope he does brilliantly there. And remember, when he came to onto our podcast, he said whatever the manager says, he's going to accept it and get on with it. So he's got the mentality to reach the top, and we're all wishing him well. Last one, um, James, before we go into the book, Thiago, Joel Matip, do they play on Saturday? Good question. Um, unfortunately, I don't. I'm not privy to Klopp's game plan already, so I can't. I can't give you a definitive answer. Um, all, all I know is that they were going to assess Thiago once they'd once they'd reassembled after getting back from from Amsterdam. Um, he hadn't trained up until now, so you you know you're wondering whether the weekend might come a bit too soon for him. Um, you know, the person I spoke to said that he had no chance for Ajax, but you know, he wouldn't be out for much longer beyond that. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't think they'll take any any risks at all. And then, um, you know, the one with Matip is it was, it, again, he was scanned on Saturday night for a tight hamstring, but it was only very minor. I think it was, I, I got told it was precautionary leaving him out. So, I, you know, you'd imagine that Matip would come back in for the weekend. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, Joel Matip, has been prone to there has been times previously when the word is that it's very minor and one game's turned into two and two's turned into three and three's turned into four so hopefully it won't be a situation like that again thanks for that james and bubbles if tiago is fit to start on saturday what will be your midfield three well the thing is tiago being fit and also risking him is two different things Mm. because you know that tackle was on his bad knee the one that he's had surgery on previously was out for i think 350 plus days Mm. so 
if even if he's fit, I don't know if I'd risk him for a full ninety necessarily. Mm-hmm. But for me, he's one of the best players, if not the best player at the club right now. Technically, is like speaking. I was so excited when we signed him. You know, dead dot. You know, we yeah. spoke about it before. Uh, yeah. I've been a big fan of his since back in the day. My older brother's been telling about me, telling him about me for ages as well. So. Yeah, I think if he is fit, then he yeah he walks straight into that midfield. The what he brings defensively as well as offensively, everything he's picked up, uh, you know, across his career from he's Brazilian, so he's got that natural flair. He's worked under Guardiola in Spain and Germany, so he's got the tactical you know understanding. His passing range improved. Went to Germany and got physically strong, you know, defensively learnt the game. Gets stuck into tackles, never say die yeah. attitude. So all of those things makes him one of the best midfielders at the club, if not the best player at the club, in my opinion. No, I was going to say, we can't forget that morning when the Athletic exclusively broke that Thiago will be signing you know, for <laughs> Liverpool. So well done, James. That was a great scoop. So moving on um, to the book that you've published um, at the end of the storm, by yourself, Oliver Kay and Simon Hughes, you know, documenting Liverpool's historic title. So what was the reason why I've got my <laughs> got electronic copy? copy. Yeah. yeah, we've been sending a copy, so we've been going through. It's a very, very good read. No. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it was, it's, it's a lovely, lovely thing to have, actually. I've had, um, I've had a few offers to write books previously and, you know, and, kind of undenied about it just because, you know, inevitably it, it involves essentially working flat out between seasons to get it done. And um, and I've always, up until now, always thought, oh, do you know what, it's the one time in the year where things just settle down a bit and I reintroduce myself to my two kids that I haven't hardly spoken to for the previous nine months. And so I think um, I've always kind of said, decided against it. But then, yeah, The Athletic had this fantastic idea together with... Um, with, with the guys at, uh, at Backpage Press to to actually turn the best of the Liverpool coverage from last season into a book. Um, so it didn't actually involve any extra work for me over the, the summer. They, they, <laughs> Lucky you. Essentially, <laughs> yeah, the, the guys at Backpage, they they kind of sifted through everything and sent me a, a long list of these are the one these are the pieces we're thinking of using, what do you think? And we, we had a few you know messages back and forth in terms of working out you know, I said, any particular reason why you've gone for that one and maybe not this piece or this piece. And um, yeah, I'm really, really proud of it. Actually, you know, it's um, obviously a collaboration of lots of different journalists from The Athletic. You know, Ollie Kay, you know, one of my favourite pieces in there is is when he went to, to Senegal and his family and actually was sat with them. Um, in their in their house watching Sadio score for Liverpool against Man City and you know some brilliant stuff from Simon Hughes in terms of you know he what did he talk about Aston Villa, Villa away? Did he speak about Aston Villa away? I think he's writing his own book on Aston Villa away. Simon went to Egypt and kind of retraced Mo Salah's first steps mm. and um, there's kind of yeah the, you know the, some of the exclusive chats that I did with you know, Klopp and, and Pep Linders and uh, and various other ones along the way. So it's, yeah, hopefully it's it's a really nice keepsake from what was a, you know, a historic title winning season. And, and I think hopefully as well, it kind of opens the athletic up to maybe a bit of a new audience because, um, you know, obviously not everyone 
it subscribes to, to apps and, and websites on their phones. So hopefully people will, will see it in bookshops and and uh, and have a read and enjoy it and and the you know the depth of the reporting and the effort and resources that went into doing it and um and maybe decide to take a closer look at, at the athletics coverage on a day-to-day basis so um yeah absolutely d- delighted with it and thankfully so far the response has been uh, been really really nice no james your work is brilliant do you want to say anything? No, yeah, I've really enjoyed this episode. I think there's mm. been lots of questions in the comments. So maybe if we could just skim through a few. So I'm just mm. going to go up. Just have a look. So, yeah. So will Van Dyke be the same when he returns? I mean, that's a question that nobody will be able to answer. But <laughs> yeah, James and Bubbles. <laughs> 30 seconds to answer each, yeah. Uh, no, I don't, I don't know. Go on, James. You, you kick it off, James. Mr. Liverpool, go on, James. <laughs> I, yeah, do you know what? I think he will be because, um, the, you know, I, I, I'm old enough to remember the days when the word, you know, the, the letters ACL sent like shockwaves through your body as a football fan because it was like mm. season end. It was a career-ending injury, wasn't it? And it was, mm. it, it was almost... If it didn't end your career, you were never the same player again. I don't think that's the case anymore. I think with the advances in, in the in the, the you know the surgical advances that have gone on, we, we've seen it time and time again. The players have suffered bad injuries like that and have come back and have, have been just as good. I mean, of course, Joe Gomez suffered a very similar injury very early on in his career, and you know, for me, he's still you know, at the age of 23, one of one of England's most gifted centre-halves. So, yeah, I've got no concerns about Virgil van Dijk. And I think anyone who knows him and has dealt with him previously will tell you that in terms of mindset and mentality and resilience, you know, he will absolutely throw, throw himself into that rehab. So, and he'll make sure that when he comes back, that knee is just as good as it was previously. And even if Van Dijk loses a yard of pace, he's still quicker than 99% of forwards. So, <laughs> that won't be an issue, you know. And Bubbles, do you think he will return the same? Yeah, no, I am. Um, I think if it's sort of, I say just an ACL, like it's a small thing, but it's not because obviously we've seen the likes of Depay this year came back within about four or five months from that. Apparently, I've read Benucci recovered when he was in his late thirties or early thirties from an ACL. So if it's something that's like that, then yeah, he can recover. I just worry that maybe it's worse than we might actually not know about like it might be multiple tears maybe not as bad as Alex Oxley Chamberlain but if it's towards that you know end then it will just take more time to come back and it's about being patient I'm like you said about his mentality I don't doubt that he's got everyone's support behind him all the fans will be just waiting for him to come and we'll yeah we'll wait for him another question is James is Jota in contention to start on Saturday <laughs> this is from OIJ LFC yeah, I think I think he has to be, doesn't he? I think common sense kind of tells you that he, he couldn't have done any more in terms of giving Klopp food for thought with his with his impact off the bench in that last half hour. Um, and it's just a really nice position that Klopp finds himself in because um, you know, probably for a lot of last season, Divock Origi was almost the the plan B, the go to man if one of the front three wasn't out there. Uh, and now, you know. Liverpool have we've got three attackers there really in, in Jota, Minamino and Shakiri, thankfully who's fit again. But clearly now Klopp sees as, as better options. And for me, Jota should be at the front of that queue. Um because you know, even watching him for, for Portugal recently, you know, he was 
he, he, you can just see he's just playing with huge amounts of confidence. And uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see him unleashed on Sheffield United. James, another one that we, you know, get a lot is that a lot of people are saying this is potentially going to be the last season of the front three. If one of them leave, is Kylian Mbappe or Jadon Sancho potential targets? First of all, it's a big if. I think, um, you know, it's, it's kind of a, been a, it's almost like an annual thing, isn't it? Like, you know, are one of the front three going to get, get lured away? And I think one of Klopp's greatest achievements at Liverpool is turning Liverpool into a final destination for elite mm-hmm. talent. talent that, you know, I don't think players now look at Liverpool and go, well, I'll have a few years here and then I'll go and play for Barca or go and play for Real Madrid. Because, you know, I think going to Real Madrid or Barcelona is a step down from playing for Liverpool when you look at where Liverpool have been the last few years. So, um, yeah, I think you know, if, if one of the front three were to want to pursue a new challenge, then... You know, of course, Liverpool would be in the market for an elite level signing, and you know, like most people, I thought that Jaden Sancho would end up gonna would end up gonna United in the window just gone. He didn't because they obviously wouldn't pay the fee. Um, but you know, I think he only becomes a realistic possibility for Liverpool if they were looking to replace one of the front three because you know, the, just the scale of the transfer fee. Mbappe, I mean, you know, again. You know, the whispers continue. But I just think the thing with Mbappe is the numbers, the numbers would be absolutely frightening just in terms of, and I, and I know, you know, people will say, oh, his contract situation might you know, reduce down the size of the fee. But you think of the, you know, it would, it would almost like obliterate Liverpool's wage structure in many ways, <laughs> trying to accommodate him. And um, yeah, I think I wouldn't be rushing to get his name on the back of a shirt anytime soon. Obviously, Sancho's representatives have said that Liverpool asks to be kept informed about, you know, his um, future next summer. Man United had a free run at it this summer, but next summer I expect, you know, multiple clubs to be at the table, you know, vying for his signature. And Liverpool will certainly be one of them. And with regards to Kylian Mbappe, you read reports saying that he's not going to extend his deal and that he likes the idea of playing for Liverpool. But as James said, the finances involved are, you know, monstrous. But obviously what does help is the fact that I believe he's sponsored by Nike. So maybe there might be some sort of collaboration in sort of packaging a deal together regarding that. So, yeah, we can keep dreaming. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I think we're going to end it there. Um, James, it's been an absolute privilege. Um, Thank you so much for coming onto the platform. We really appreciate your support and we want to keep building a relationship with you. Yeah, no worries, guys. No, it's always a pleasure to come on and chat with you. I absolutely love the work you've done and the uh, you know the fact you get such amazing guests on, like you know Rianne Bruce through and other fellow professionals shows how much respect that people have got for you. So keep it going. Thank you, James and Bubbles. It's been a pleasure. Um, subscribe to the YouTube channel, hit the like button, and we will see you soon. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.